Welcome to the Live, Rad, Learn podcast. This is your host, Sarah Higner, and uh, Merry Christmas, everybody! It is the week between Christmas and New Year's. I'm sitting in my childhood bedroom at my parents' house, um, just celebrating the holidays with family. I hope y'all had a wonderful Christmas and that you're getting ready for a great New Year's. So um, just a quick update. I mentioned Silas last time. Y'all, it is a roller coaster. I was literally like on the verge. I I had pretty much made the decision, like the decision. And then I decided before I make anything final, I'm going to get a second opinion. So I reached out to another vet that I really trust. And so she gave me one more thing to try. So it is a roller coaster. I'm kind of tired of the one more thing because I feel like I've been doing one more thing for a while, but I really respect this vet, and so I'm going to try the one more thing, and we'll see. Um, Okay, so moving on. This is going to be, like, the least edited podcast I've done in a while because, again, I'm sitting in my childhood bedroom. But we are on Chapter 3 of Finding Gideon, and I just thought, I hate waiting on books. I hate it. Like, Netflix is the best, right, because we can binge and watch the whole show at once. And so I wanted to go ahead and get this out for y'all. Thank you so much to everyone who has been listening. It's been really fun to watch the numbers slowly go up on chapter one and then chapter two. So if you're new to the podcast, this is chapter three. You may not want to start right here. You may want to go back a couple episodes and listen to chapter one and then chapter two. Anyway, so we're going to go ahead and dive in with chapter three. Are y'all ready? I'm going to give you a second. If you have not listened to chapter one and two, you're just going to turn this off and go back a couple episodes. Okay. All right. You had your chance. Here we go. Chapter three of finding Gideon. Oh, wait, this is my work. Don't copy it. Don't duplicate it. Don't share it. You can share the link to the podcast with your friends, please. But don't say that this is your work because it's not. I have put my blood, sweat and tears into this for like over a decade. So here we go. Chapter three. I found it. Robert bent over, then thrust what must have been my tooth in the air. He was too far away to see, but the men rushed him excitedly. Did it matter? It felt more like a souvenir, like a shark tooth at the beach. The find boosted their morale and gave them something to focus on beyond the pitiful girl laying silent and broken on the track. Eventually, the men returned to pacing and complaining about how long the ambulance was taking. Craig came and went, checking on Red and the other horses in the barn and coming back to check on me. Will the ambulance ever get here? I wondered. The jagged points of broken and newly crooked teeth pushed against my lips. How did this happen? How are my real teeth as bad or worse even than freaking Bubba teeth? They poked into the swollen skin inside of my mouth and there was a gap of empty bloody gums. Was it better to lose teeth or for them to be broken? I sighed. I am messed up. Things aren't right. My heart pounded faster in my chest until it pulsed in my ears and even my fingertips. I can't escape this. This happened to me. My body, my face, and what if mom and dad forced me to come home? Could I even blame them? I couldn't, but I didn't want to go home. Riding racehorses in Kentucky is all I want to do. God, please don't let them make me go home. What if it was ending here? What if years of dreaming, scheming, and sacrifices were useless thanks to this one fluke accident? I wasn't ready to go. I'd only been galloping for two weeks. I didn't know what was next, but I knew I wasn't ready to give up. Everything had been at my fingertips. My determination had paid off, and I was good at this. But I wasn't sure if the choice was mine. I could control and ride out a lot of things, but a horse disappearing from underneath me wasn't one of them. 
Silent tears streamed down the sides of my face, creating salty streaks in the dirt and wetting the hair by my ears as I lay on the ground. I don't want to go home, God. Please don't make me go home. The shift of energy drew the men back to me like a fish on a line, some natural inclination towards a damsel in distress. They leaned over and peered down all their eyebrows in nearly comical matching slants. I wanted to spit in their faces to make them turn away. I hated the way these tears perked them up and changed the tone of their collective voice. I hated that I needed them. Instead, I turned my head to spit blood and let the moisture from my eyes become part of the track. So much for tough horse girls not crying. The ambulance arrived. EMTs leaped from the truck and raced towards me, shooting questions at the men as if they had been there and knew what happened, as if I hadn't. They set an orange board beside me and voices came from every direction about how to transfer me safely from the track to the board. This is ridiculous, I thought. I'm only laying on the ground so I don't pass out. But they didn't want to risk anything, and I realized, what if something broke in my back and I somehow can't feel it? The horse did roll over me. Anxiety crept up my body, an itchy flush making its way to my neck and face. What if adrenaline is masking something worse than my busted teeth? They removed my safety vest and helmet and strapped me to a stiff orange board. They wrapped a brace around my neck that would have fit a 6'4 linebacker. I considered asking for a kid's size, but not fitting into something so basic to humanity added to my humiliation. Could this neck brace separate my head from my body? My brother's football career flashed in my mind. If I had expected anyone in the family to be carried to an ambulance in a neck brace on an orange board, he was it. Though I was glad it wasn't him. The EMTs set everyone abuzz. A blur of different colored shirts and urgent conversations I no longer cared about. Just get me to the hospital and get this over with. My southern hospitality and perpetual hopefulness slipped into the dirt underneath the orange board. The talking heads discussed which hospital to take me to. Honestly, y'all, aren't all hospitals good? Get the show on the road. Craig demanded they not take me to the closest one because it was next to the prison. What's the big deal? Are convicts convicts running around loose in the ER? I care where they took me as long as they got me there soon and fixed me up so I could put this behind me and get back to dream chasing. But the concern was appreciated. They hefted me up into the ambulance and double doors closed, blocking Robert and Craig's pinched faces from view. It was just me, an EMT with beautiful dark brown hair and a lot of machines. I had wondered what the inside of an ambulance looked like when they passed me on the interstate with sirens blaring. It simultaneously met my expectations and shocked me. There was so much equipment jammed into this tiny space. The EMT carried on our conversation, probably to keep me relaxed. Every time I opened my mouth to speak, the wrongness of it made me never want to open my mouth again. But she was also unexpectedly comforting. She didn't wince or fret, yet I could feel her care. I was a broken human, but still human, and she was there to get me to a place where I could be fixed. The beeps, clicks, and rattles of the gurney against the floor as we bumped along the track swept me into a vortex. I was in the center as it spun out of control and this girl was keeping me grounded. My mind drifted to a book I had read that sparked this dream to gallop racehorses. The book had a jet black thoroughbred on the cover with a girl in jockey silks on his back. I had stared at the picture, getting lost in what-ifs, and my heart had clenched with want. At the very beginning of the first book of the series, the main character was galloping on the track, had an accident, and broke her back. Of course, she had a long, tumultuous, but ultimately victorious return from the injury to ride her favorite horse and win the big race. The book planted the seed of desire to gallop racehorses on the track, and from then on, nearly every horse-related book I read was about racing. They each watered the seed until it grew into a beautiful, gigantic tree with deep roots that was impossible to move. So... I built my life around it. 
I knew in my gut I would end up at the hospital at some point during this racetrack dream, but just like the girl in the book, I just didn't expect it this soon. But I also didn't expect the journey here to take so long. The plan had been simple enough. The summer after my junior year of high school, I contacted colleges, set up appointments to visit campuses, and with my mom's help, booked flights. The anchor of our trip was a day at the races. When scouring a magazine in Barnes & Noble called The Backstretch, I found a Saturday horse race that fit perfectly with the college tours. We flew into Louisville to start a large loop through the state. First stop, Churchill Downs. There were simply no words. For years, I had watched the Kentucky Derby on TV, scoured articles about it in newspapers, and read books that took place on this track. It was the biggest fangirl moment of my life. Twin spires pointed towards heaven and my heart lifted with them. This was my destiny. We walked through the parking lot, and I spent half a roll of film taking pictures of the track on the other side of the fence. Lacing my fingers through the wire, I pressed my head against the metal, straining for a closer look at the starting gates and dirt. I envisioned myself on a racehorse, breaking from the green mechanical padded doors, and snapped photos of the empty gates before Mom offered to take my picture in front of them. We continued to the main entrance. Dad walked up to the ticket seller. Hey, we're here for the races. The guy behind the glass leaned into his little microphone. It'll be $8. $8, that's it. We've got two adults and one almost adult. I think she qualifies as a kid still, he said with a chuckle as he gestured to me. Mom and I had our eyebrows to our hairlines in shock with cheese grins. Yes, sirree, $3 for adults and two if you're under 18 on Stakes Day. None of us were sure what Stakes Day meant, but we smiled and nodded. Dad counted out the bills to pay our entrance fee while I walked in slow circles. Once I held my ticket, I flew through the front entrance, greeted by a fenced-off area with horses being led around an oval. Bright-colored saddle towels with numbers on them matched the smocks of the walkers. Some horses swaggered like they owned the place, and others jigged around in a nervous trot. Immediately, I decided the ones who strutted would win. I leaned against the fence, breathing in the smells of concession food mixed with horses. This must be what heaven smells like, minus the hot dogs. A bright bay horse with bulging neck muscles walked past me, making eye contact, and I gasped. Get over here, he said. You belong with us. His handler smiled at me, and my stomach fluttered as I lifted my hand in a tentative wave. Jockeys were tossed under their mounts and disappeared through a tunnel under the stands. We raced in the same direction, looking for seats. I didn't want to miss a single second. I had imagined a crowd like I'd seen on TV for the Derby, but instead it was sporadic race fans, dressed casually, studying programs, and holding squares of paper that must have something to do with their bets. The horses danced around the track to warm up. I forgot to breathe as I watched the parade of glistening young thoroughbreds led by gussied-up lead horses and all the horsemen on their backs. I longed to be one of them. A bell rang, and the field of racehorses exploded from the gates. A lump rose in my throat as my heart kicked up to match the frantic rhythm of hoofbeats that shook the ground. The track caller sped along, updating us stride by stride as the field moved to the far side of the track, nearly out of sight. I strained to see them, eventually settling for watching on the big screen until a blur of movement appeared at the turn of the track. The field of horses stampeded towards us, coming down the home stretch. I leaned over the railing and snapped picture after picture. The air was electric as they made their final rally in front of me, throwing clods of dirt in the air. It was real, and I was there. I could stick my hand through the fence and touch a piece of actual Churchill Downs track. My dad struck up a conversation with a petite woman with dark brown curly hair who appeared to be in her mid-forties. Dad regaled her with the tale of my dream of riding racehorses and how we were in town to tour schools. 
Her eyes twinkled in excitement. Would you like a tour of the racetrack? She introduced herself as Trish and whisked me away. We went back to the small area at the front of the track where I first saw the horses being led around, and Trish explained that it was called the paddock. But a paddock is where we turn horses out to graze and maybe frolic, I countered in confusion. True, but at the track it's what they call this area where the horses get walked around and saddled. They have some different lingo here. Her eyes crinkled at the corners when she talked. You'll get used to it. Okay, I replied as I rushed to keep up with her. Want to go in? Her devious grin said she already knew the answer. Everyone in there appeared to be connected to a horse. Trainers, grooms, jockeys. Are we allowed? They know me. It won't be a problem. She winked before walking to the security guard and flashing a badge. He became the footman, opening the door to Cinderella's magical carriage. I stepped down one, two, three steps and paused. I was no longer a peasant watching the ball from the outside. I was part of it, and I had to pause and take a breath. Come on, my fairy godmother grinned at the awe emanating from my face. I rushed across the dirt path between horses and joined Trish on the grassy center of the oval. Pretty cool, huh? She bumped my arm when she asked. My voice finally came to me. This is incredible. Thank you so much. The horses circled, princes and princesses dancing around us. Someone in a green blazer broke the trance, yelling, Riders up! Jockeys were popped up onto the horses' backs before exiting the paddock area and heading towards the track. It was time for the race. The crowd that had pressed to the paddock fence dispersed in a rush towards the bedding windows and the other side of the track, and I started towards the gate we came through. Do you want to follow the jocks? Trisha's question startled me. Surely that tunnel was forbidden to anyone on foot. Uh, are you sure? I didn't want to sound like a broken record, but... Yeah, it's fine. Come on. We gotta hurry if you want to see the horses. And we jogged to the same opening the horses had exited through. Trish knew everyone, and they loved her equally. From the walkers who tossed their bibs into a laundry basket once their horses danced towards the track, to the outrider on a stocky mare who followed the herd, they chatted and laughed. A jockey walked alongside us, and I tried not to stare. Soon, he and Trish chatted, and I decided maybe she wasn't a fairy godmother. She's the mayor of Churchill Downs. People clamored to bask in the glow of her joy and kindness. The horses in front of us reached the end of the tunnel, prancing onto the track in anticipation. While they warmed up, she walked me across the edge of the track, through the winter circle, to an old-time analog scale. This is where the jockeys weigh in with their saddles after the race, she nodded, a greeting to an older gentleman in a green blazer. You want to step on the scales? The man asked. A grin stretched across my face, and I looked to Trish for confirmation. Get up there, she gestured towards the scale. Give it a try. Here, give me your camera. I'll take a picture. I stepped up. The numbers swirled beneath a needle, and I turned to Trish and smiled, feeling completely cheesy and utterly thrilled. The bell rang, and the horses exploded from the gate. Come on, Trish dragged me away. Let's watch the race over here. Most people like to be up high, but the real horsemen watch the race by the rail, where the dirt can fly up and hit us. Yes, I love being on the rail. You can feel the vibrations when the field runs by. Here they come. Get your camera ready, she shouted over the din of screaming fans. I leaned over the rail and snapped picture after picture as the horses approached and thundered past us. The crowd escalated until the horses passed the finish line. Little white squares of paper previously gripped between fingers of hopeful bettors fluttered to the ground as heads tipped forward to study the racing program in the next race. Sporadic visitors clutched winning tickets and raced to collect money. Trish and I lingered around the winter circle to catch a close-up view of the victor. When the horse pranced back for a picture, they invited us to stand in the circle and be in the wind photo. Is this even real? Still wide-eyed, the tired horses marched away with their handlers to the other side of the track where warm stalls waited and a buzz of anticipation filled the air. 
the headlining race of the day, the Stephen Foster with a purse of $831,000 was next. Do you want some jockeys to sign your program? Trish asked. Sure. And we were off. We stood by the door to the jocks room, and when a jockey walked up, she handed him my program and asked if he could get some signatures. Sure. I'll pass it around to the guys. His eyes crinkled at the corners when he looked at me, and I was awestruck. I didn't follow jockeys or know any of their names, but ten minutes later, they cracked the door and passed my program back. Trish gave them a warm thank you and I w- and wished them luck while I gawked. Every jockey for the upcoming race had autographed my program. Trish pointed each signature out, telling me who was the winning winningest jockey for the year's meet, who won the derby, and more. I clutched to my chest wanting to cry over this simple and beautiful thing, but we were moving too fast for emotions. I've got one more place to take you, Trish shared. You watch the derby on TV, right? I followed her up the escalators as I told her about watching it at home and reading the write-ups in the local paper the next day. It was one. It was the only day of the year Dad pulled the sports page for me. It was the only day of the year I cared what the newspaper had to say. We went through doors marked for employees and soon stood in a room with wall-to-wall sound equipment overlooking the entire Churchill Downs racetrack. Trish introduced me to one more friend, the guy who calls the races over the loudspeaker, including the Kentucky Derby. They chatted while I marveled, searching my brain for questions and coming up empty. Really, I didn't care about asking questions. I just wanted to be there. To be there. To be there. We made our way to the rail, fangirling over our favorite horses, jumped and screamed and took more pictures as they battled down the home stretch. And then it was done. The clock struck midnight. Time to go. Trish delivered me to my parents, where we showered her with gratitude for creating such a magical day, and then we made our way to the exit. On our way out, Mom and Dad gratified me with a trip through the gift shop. While they waited to pay for souvenirs, I slipped out of the air-conditioned building to stand in the sun. The bright rays warmed my pebbled skin, and a heaviness settled in my chest that went down my body, through my feet, into the ground of the legendary Churchill Downs. I didn't leave a shoe on the front steps. I left a piece of myself hoping I'd be back soon to reclaim it, but knowing deep down, it might not be so easy. That's it. Chapter three. Ah, isn't it magical? I actually love that chapter. I wrote, I wrote it a while ago. And then when I was going back through in my last round of edits, it just wasn't hitting. Like I just thought, I'm like just telling the story, but you can't really feel it or experience it. And so I really dug down and edited that one pretty deeply. And I love the way it turned out after spending some time and doing a bunch of rewrites. So thank you all so much for tuning in to chapter three of Finding Gideon. Please tell a friend. Let's get the word out so everyone can hear the story as it goes. I will try to bring you a new chapter next week so you don't have to wait too long. But Happy New Year, everybody, and Merry Christmas. Bye. Today's episode of Live Ride Learn is brought to you by Streamhorse TV. Streamhorse TV is the premier international digital community where horse enthusiasts come together to expand their horizons in equine sports and culture. Streamhorse TV is elevating equestrian entertainment, increasing accessibility, and boldly uniting the global horse world, celebrating the horse as our beloved common thread. Follow the herd over to Streamhorse TV for their groundbreaking free video series, articles, and the Streamhorse TV guide. Subscribe to Streamhorse TV for free at www.streamhorse.tv and follow them on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, all so at very Streamhorse mystical, TV. Buried on top of the bone.